Welcome to the Final Girls Podcast, where we do not like bugs. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, welcome. In this fourth series of the podcast, we're looking at teen horror in depth and exploring why teenagers and especially teenage girls make some of the most compelling protagonists and villains of this subgenre. We've been immersed in 2000s horror for a few weeks now, but on this episode, we're doing a double bill of Phenomena, the 1985 teen girl with bug abilities from Giallo Master Diary Argento and The Moth Diaries, a 2001 sort of YA gothic creeper set in a boarding school for girls, directed by Mary Harron of American Psycho fame. Joining me for this insect-themed double bill is the Independence Chief Film Critic Clarice Lockery, who braved her own bug phobia to do this episode with me, and I thank you, Clarice. A quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Final Ghost UK. We also have a Patreon where you can support our work, get occasional bonus episodes. The next one that we'll be putting out will be a deep dive review of Titan, just in time for its arrival in movie next week. And if you can't support us over on Patreon, that's absolutely no problem. But I'd love it if you could take a few seconds to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Spotify have ratings now, and it's a really small thing, but it really helps people discover the podcast. If you're new to the show, please keep in mind that we talk spoilers pretty much from the very beginning. And if you're not partial to bugs or insect talk, I will not be offended if you skip this one. And with all of that said... Please enjoy our takes on Phenomena and the Moth Diaries. Clarice, welcome back into the podcast. How have you been doing? Good, thank you. Uh, I will say this week's this topic. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about the films. Uh, I'm very repulsed by insects. <laughs> <laughs> very feel, upset by insects <laughs> i feel like this is the worst possible double bill for you then i do apologize uh for having you on i i did not know that and you stepped in at the 11th hour and i thank you so much for this and now i feel bad because i made you watch a double bill that was specifically put together because it featured teenage girls and bugs it's okay because I said yes without really thinking about it. Because I, I was like, oh, phenomena, yeah, the, and she, she loves insects. But I didn't, my naive mind didn't think that they, it showed as many insects as they do. <laughs> but that's stupid of me because, of course, Dario Argento would show me a lot of insects. <laughs> That is exactly in, in his behavior. Why did I think otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've been kind of going through this chronologically through the teen horror subgenre, but occasionally some of the double bills are kind of wild combinations. And this is one of those because we're going to talk about the Moth Diaries, which is from 2011. And I've been talking about kind of new millennium horror for a few weeks now, but then going back to the 80s with Phenomena, 
uh, not quite Giallo, but, you know, directed by Giallo master Dario Argento. So I'm going to let you pick. Which one do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about moths or do you want to talk about maggots first? I feel like let's get the movie with the most insects out of the way. <laughs> Phenomena. <laughs> <is>. Phenomena. <laughs> How set the scene for us? How would you summarize phenomena for someone who may not have rewatched it in a while? It's basically Suspiria, but if her special power was that she had all insects were horny for her. <laughs> Is that accurate? It's gone off the rails already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one who made phenomena. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, okay. Clarify. So Jennifer mm. Connolly, teenage Jennifer Connolly, stars as a girl called Jennifer, uh, who can talk to bugs. Do you did you read this as though the bugs were horny for her? Is I Yes. F- yes, because it's Donald Pleasance says that to her. I'm I didn't oh, make God. this up. <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene where so i let me set this up uh-huh. so she she arrives to this school and there are mysterious murders happening and mm-hmm. sort of almost adjacent to that storyline is she makes friends with donald pleasance's character who is uh oh an an entomologist that's the correct word yeah. <laughs> uh, a man who studies bugs and they immediately form a bond because they both are bugs. That's a very rare occurrence. <laughs> Cute. And there's a scene where he is studying some sort of beetle that, like, comes on his glasses. <laughs> I don't know, he, like, ejaculates something on his glasses. And he's like, oh my gosh, watch out, you're right in the firing range. <laughs> of the beetle and she says no no insects never harm me and so she puts the little beetle on her hand and the beetle starts like singing it's like it's making little beetle uh musical noises and donald pleasant says ah yes do you hear that that's the maiden call (laughs) Uh, (laughs) clearly this bug likes you so i will say while watching the film, my interpretation was uh, that Dario Gento was telling us that the bugs all love her because they are horny for her. Well, I... You're not wrong. <laughs> and you That's just... what I'm saying. I didn't make this up. <laughs> he says it in the movie. <laughs> and it's, it's delivered as if that is an explanation for her because there's no other explanation given as to why every insect on the planet seems to have such a special connection with Jennifer. And <laughs> there's always the idea that, oh, she always says this bug won't harm me. Like a bee lands on her hand and everyone's mm-hmm. freaking out. And she goes, no, no, no. The bee's my friend. And it's like, oh, the bee's a bit more than a friend. I mean, you've just made this film like fifty percent worse, <laughs> worse in a in a like gross way. <laughs> because you're not wrong, but I never thought about it that way, even though it's like right there. I feel like 
and this is true for most Dario Argento films, mm-hmm. I feel like every shot, <laughs> I can hear the sound of him behind the camera going, <laughs> <laughs> like little, like, like little goblin gremlin laughing behind the camera because there's so much about, like, I will be upfront about it. Mm-hmm. I, despite the, a lot of insect stuff. I thought this was brilliant. <laughs> I really loved it. What a twist! But, but, partially because it's it's Argento to the point of almost parody. I uh-huh. would say. I feel like compared to a lot of, uh, I guess his mo- his more well known films, there's. <laughs> There is sort of an internal logic and a beauty to them. And this one, he's like, mm, I gave a monkey a razor blade and just let him <laughs> run loose. <laughs> and like, okay. So- and it, it's so, it's so over the top that I just, I can't dislike it. One of the things that I love about Argento, and I didn't say this, I'm kind of paraphrasing something that uh, the great kind of film and horror critic Alexander Helen Nicholas wrote in her, uh, you know, monograph about Suspiria and the way that she's talked about Argento. I'm going to be butchering, but the kind of the, the general thesis of what you're saying that really completely gelled with me and why I love him is because he doesn't make sense. And that is the point. The point is that there is a world and a feel to Argento's films, and you just have to kind of let go of logical ideas and go with it. And if you let yourself be carried by the particular brand and wave of weirdness that he has, that he brings to cinema, if you if you're on that goblin wave with him, then the all of his films, even the worst ones feel quite unique and quite special and are definitely enjoyable because they exist in a Dario Argento kind of world that he creates. There's a distinct flavor to his cinema. But if you don't get on that wave, then they're kind of impossible to connect with because they, they're not logical whatsoever. Yes, I I agree. Although I think... For example, taking Suspiria, mm-hmm. just take Suspiria as an example. I think that film at least has an internal logic to it in the same way that, you know, a David Lynch film, it's surrealism, it's, it's dream logic, but it's cohesive within its own, <laughs> within its own dream. Mm-hmm. If I feel like phenomena is not a dream, like phenomena is just. <laughs> it's like is i don't know it feels like it feels like a trick like a little like a prank that's being pulled on the audience in a very in a quite enjoyable way almost i think there's a little bit of both sometimes in his movies where he he understands the he understands like the symbolisms and the undercurrents of like desire and repulsion that run through everything that he does. But I do feel like sometimes there's just like a little bit of a yeah. I can't I can't really describe it other than the goblin like the the gre- sorry I shouldn't say goblin because that's confusing with the the band with the, the gremlin <laughs> like the little gremlin laugh. It's like the idea that he's just always putting people's faces through windows. I feel like there's both an understanding of 
of the feeling that that create, like the symbolic mm. subconscious feeling that creates in an audience. And there's also a part of it that's like, <laughs> especially in this, because the person he puts through a window is his own daughter. And I feel like there's like a little bit of a weird, like trolley aspect to that. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I kind of, it does because it fits into this, you know, the Argento vibe thing. But at the same time, I kind of do see phenomena as a dream film as well, but specifically as a dream of a teenage girl who's like isolated and being sent off to a Swiss boarding school and is by herself and, and is kind of ostracized in her own way in her school. This is her dream of some sort of specialness, right? And isn't that what all, well, what we all want, but also what specifically kind of teenage girls want to feel special or be special in some way? And her special thing is that bugs really like her, <laughs> whether they're horny for her or there's just some magical connection there. And that feels quite dreamlike, just kind of from maybe in quite an innocent point of view. Yeah, I think there's certainly an element of that. And I feel like even the casting of um, Jennifer Connor is this before or after Labyrinth? When did Labyrinth come out? Uh, I believe that's after, but I'm just going to double check. I want to say that Labyrinth is 1982. Okay, I'm sorry. I never saw Labyrinth. It's <laughs> making a confession out here. Um it's but 86, I, yeah, I think, sorry, it's Labyrinth is the year after. Uh, Ooh. Well, because I guess that's interesting to me, because you saying this idea of the the girl's dream of being the sort of special, uh, having like a very special connection to something mm -hmm. is present in, I just said I haven't seen Labyrinth, but I know what it's about. <laughs> it's, um, that's sort of an element in that film. And in here, I think that she's giving that sort of halfway point between Alice and Wonderland, like the, the wide eyed, like quite, uh, like she has a great appetite for her surroundings, mm -hmm. sensibility, and also the very, the very gentle, I don't know. It's, it's sort of like she, <laughs> her being a bug girl is sort of reminds me of like the horse girl. I think it's the sort of the linked um, fantasy of, uh -huh. you know, like every piece of fiction about a girl and her horse is like the untamable horse. But no, me, I'm the one girl who managed to speak through to this animal. I think there is like a sort of collected fantasy of, of wanting to be um the someone who has a greater connection to mm. their surroundings and to nature i feel like that's the sort of dream that it's tapping into mm -hmm. and it also kind of fits into a familiar pattern of of teen girl focused horror movies right which is the the carry model the teen girl who has some sort of paranormal power that makes her be distrusted and also um, unprotected by the adults around her. Because there is this amazing moment in in the film where she, where one of the one of her tutors says that she's not normal; she's diabolic, 
and calls her the Lady of the Flies as though she's the spawn of, or Satan himself, because she can talk to the bugs and stuff. Like, how do you feel? How do you feel it kind of picks up or riffs on these, on these type of tingle horror movies? Of it's interesting because I I think there's a slight variation to it in the sense that I always feel like Argento, you know, even even when so many of his murder victims in in his films are are women he always shoots them with such empathy i i feel like mm-hmm. there's always a real connection to uh women to the feminine and so i feel like this jennifer she's not quite carry because argento never allows us this sense that we as an audience should be scared of her even when she's standing there and like the flies are swarming the school <laughs> and they're all like tapping at the window saying, let us in. It's, it's not shot and it's not presented as something. Yeah. As, as something dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's only through the interpretation of everyone around her that deems her a threat. We are always on the side of the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> are we, are we on the side of the bugs? I feel like that. I feel like, I don't know, if you're taking, if you're comparing it strictly to the kind of, uh, like, dangerous, like, female energy of Carrie, I don't think it ever really reaches that point. Like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like the, I don't know when it goes, maybe it goes back to this thing with the the flies and the uh, insects being, like, horny, having, like, a romantic connection to the insects is, is much softer. I feel like it's it's only because the things themselves are insects that there would be any repulsion in the first place. If mm-hmm. she was doing this, but you know, it was butter. I guess butterflies are insects too. <laughs> if it was puppy dogs, if she was just attracting puppy dogs through her telepathic energy, there would <laughs> everyone around her would have a very different reaction. It's like the only the only sense of repulsion comes from the things that they are. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, I find it quite interesting with this film because both are, because there's a lot of misdirection as to who the serial killer is and as to who the villain is. Because at one point, you know, we might be kind of be led to believe that maybe Jennifer has some sort of demonic ability or that, you know, that it's bugs that she attracts because she might be Satan or not. You know, why not? We're in a Argento movie. It might be possible. Um, But what do you think about the actual, like, murder mystery that goes on alongside Jennifer's coming of age with bugs and a chimpanzee and a forensic entomologist story. Yeah, I I will say I I I don't know if there was that much mystery to me because <laughs> and I think he often does that. He doesn't yeah. really construct a mystery. He's just like there's a gloved hand, it's killing people. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and then 15 minutes before the end, it's like, oh, it was this person. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like this was like the situation with Phenomena because they introduce a new character <laughs> specifically to turn around and go, yeah, it was them. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting that it, it is 
a woman and also they make such a point of saying that she uh she is an assault survivor mm-hmm. and her desire to kill is connected through uh both a personal trauma and a sense of protectiveness over uh the son that was uh came, was conceived during the sexual assault that um it has a bug face as well. I don't, that's the only thing I can describe him as. He's like a little bug boy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she feels, and I guess, yeah, it's again like, it's interesting because again, it goes, I think this is what goes back to this idea that she's, she's not like Carrie because there is more of a tension between uh the beautiful and the repulsive. And it's like, she loves her son so much but there is something repulsive about him because he looks like a bug. Like, it's... It, there's almost, like, a, a weird parallel there between the mother's relationship with the son and then her relationship with all the insects. hmm And then... And this is... I'm not trying... I genuinely was asking myself this question throughout the entire movie. Because Inga, the chimpanzee, the heroine of the story ultimately the final girl of the story <laughs> who is like a pleasant donald pleasance's assistant she full-on kills the villain with a razor blade like an old-fashioned chafing razor and and at the end of the film jennifer and and inga hug and i'm genuine i'm just i don't i don't have a question I'm more kind of wanting to understand why <laughs> that was. I got. I always forget about the chimpanzee element of phenomena. I oh, it always surprises me. I've probably seen this film like three times. Maybe this this three retro was the third time. Always takes me by surprise, and I always just constantly think like, oh, what? <laughs> I have an inch. Uh, did you know that that monkey? attacked jennifer connelly and like ripped the end of her finger off and jennifer connelly had to go to hospital no yeah to reattach her finger because of this monkey oh that just that's just gave a razor blade too (laughs) (laughs) and the monkey just finds it in the trash that's how inga gets the razor blade I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that element, and I also, I find the scene where she first gets to the school, and she's like, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry, what's that over there? Oh, it's a bunch of baby food that her roommate's parents had left behind when the roommate's parents and her, like, new baby brother visited, And Jennifer Connelly's like, yeah, I'll dig in. And she gets the back end of her toothbrush to just start eating the baby food. (laughs) This is what I, this is what I mean when I say I feel like this compared to a lot of the Argento films. And I wonder whether that's just because it was 1985. (laughs) It was like him being at this point in his career. He pushed it in a couple of ways just to see if everyone was paying attention. (laughs) 
because I was. I was. I'm paying attention right now. <laughs> but I also wonder if it's like one of those weird girly things. Like I've been talking a lot on the last couple of episodes about kind of like gross women through some of the films that we've been talking about, and I'm increasingly fascinated by gross women on screen. And and I wonder, like we all do weird things, right? That perhaps only makes sense to us as individuals and i don't know i don't know what it says about me but like i saw that scene and i clocked it and i just moved on you know what i mean was like i didn't feel like it was pushing it it just felt like some what a weird 14 year old girl would do because you know she wasn't necessarily super socialized yeah i (sighs) I do feel like Argento's films, like he's got some understanding of how women function. (laughs) And I'm always torn while watching his stuff between, yeah, between that line of like, does he get it? Or is this like the fantasy of what he thinks it is like? And that's what I find really fascinating about his work. And I feel like the interactions between women all the time in every single one of his films, it's like, it's, there's something both recognizable and like something slightly off for me. <laughs> yes. And I feel like this scene is a really good example of like, I know what you mean. It is maybe the kind of thing. A a 14-year-old girl, yeah, would just do because she's exhausted and she doesn't really give a shit. But at the same time, you're like, but is it? (laughs) And I kind of, I kind of like that weird dichotomy, right? Because I think you're, Mm. I think you're right. It's absolutely that thing where it's like, well, this makes sense. But then you kind of do a double take and you think, wait, no, this is weird. Why does this kind of makes sense within this world but actually it does not make sense for anyone it's like and that happens a couple of times it's like what a woman i know she's a witch but would a woman really bring a cat into a college lecture you know like (laughs) 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 it i but i think it the the purpose of it, the sort of strange purpose of it, is that whatever part of womanhood Dario Gento doesn't understand, it adds to it adds to that surreal horror. It adds to the weird fantasy that he's creating mm-hmm. because it's populated by like women who are women, but also who aren't quite women. So you're constantly suspect of who might you know secretly be a witch or a serial killer or the queen of the bugs you know <laughs> it's it, there's there is a logic to it because he's not making movies about relatable women <laughs> you know and i wonder if actually the whole woman side of it is almost like is it do you think it's just the women that inhabit this sort of weird stratosphere that is unique to his films or is it everyone because when i think about argento films i think that everybody lives in a in a weird plane of their own and then they sort of interact with this plot i would say yes and no (laughs) i think everyone because of the 
because of the the worlds that he creates, you know, every yeah, everyone is acting a little bit strange. But I, I that I find there's something always about his his female characters, and it's partially the kind of actresses that he casts. He always casts like uh, the most <laughs> like beautiful but absolutely haunting women. Like uh there's Dalia Di Lorazzo who mm-hmm. is so beautiful but I'm really scared. It's terrifying. <laughs> and the way that she carries herself. Like she's so she's present but she's also not quite present. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there is a there is a fascination with women and a little bit of fear of women and a like and i don't know what to do with women <laughs> uh ideology like running through his work and i think that often happens with uh great like male horror directors or men who make great horror movies sometimes part of the reason <laughs> that they're great is because it's men who like are like i don't i don't women are, i don't know what to do with them and it's like that anxiety translates itself to screen in such interesting ways that's fascinating and I think you're thinking, like, in the context of Argento's work, where do you think Phenomena sits? On what scale? On, like... Well, you've kind of talked about some of the things that make... that make up this this strange tone and and universe of Dario Argento films... And this one, this one feels extremely his. And perhaps like even, you know, in the, in the chronology of his career, also one of the, one of the last ones that has that, that sort of eighties or, you know, even reminds us of the sort of stuff that he was making in the seventies. Because after this, he went very much into kind of, you know, opera and trauma and still and senile syndrome and stuff and then there is a significant i i think drop off in quality in the in the 90s and the 2000s although i do have a soft spot for the senile syndrome but where do you think this one sits within the type of film that he was known for making and the sort of film that he would then be making now that he has been making for the last like what 20 years Mm. yeah i think it the fact that would yeah this is the mid 80s Mm. there's 1985 i feel like that date makes a lot of sense to me because uh yeah both both in in the breadth of his career you're right that he's he's sort of he sort of had his his but he's he'd really hit his stride like he's he'd found himself <laughs> he'd made his classics and then i feel like after that and a lot of filmmakers careers you know comes the moment where they they just kind of push it <laughs> and like this feels like uh argento but like in slight overdrive mm-hmm. and it's not you know completely out of control but i feel like there are a lot of elements here where it's it is just slightly exaggerated to the point that it 
it feels a little bit like self-parody. Mm. And it, even it comes, I was, I was listening to the, the Goblin, uh, music that they contributed to this. And even that feels like, it's like they just pushed it a little bit more than they would normally. Cause some of the, the music in this is, is like, the music is beating me up. Like, <laughs> the mm. goblin, like, grabbed me by the neck and I'm like, yeah, gonna enjoy this percussion. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like everything. Yeah, it's, it's all the, the aesthetic, the tonal, the stylistic, the plot elements of this are just, it's familiar Argento. Like a director who really knows himself and knows like what he's about. And he's like, Ooh, can I just, you know, can I just push it a little bit further? And I particularly have found, I mean, it probably is not helped by the, the fact that I am so repulsed and scared of insects, but I also found, uh, some of the gore elements in this, I think a little more bold than a lot of his other movies because i'm i don't know i'm not usually that like viscerally uh there's not much of like a visceral effect that his films have on me i just enjoy them for their aesthetic quality but this one mm. like there's a few of the scenes really made me go <laughs> okay <laughs> that oh that's you know when she falls into the the watery body pit oh and it's god like, corpse mush i feel like i feel like there's like a little bit of a a gnarliness that that yeah pushes it because i this is a weird thing to say because obviously he 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 loves his gore but i feel like often it's delivered with a certain amount of elegance Mm -hmm. i feel like here some of that elegance is lacking and it is just full on like repulsive body horror, but not in a bad way. I liked it. I really, I liked it. I would just say that not in a negative way. I've just noticed that I didn't have the same reaction that I do to a lot of his other movies. Mm-hmm. I think there's something very different from the hyper stylized violence of his other movies, of his other Jello movies compared to the, the viscera and the for lack of a better word smushiness of some of the bug stuff here <laughs> which it just feels liquid it feels liquid in a way that cannot be stylized because bright red blood on screen looks fantastic like there's a reason why violence is over stylized especially in jello movies it's very almost you know operatic violence but this is this is gunky, and gunky cannot be stylized. Yeah, you're so right. A hundred percent agree. Because I was watching it, and I was going through like all the images <laughs> of his other, you know, his other body parts and slayings mm-hmm. and killings. I was like, what is what is so different about this? And you're right, it's the gunkiness, and it's the lack of color because. You know, the color palette of this is very bluish. I mean, it's a it's beautifully shot film, but the violent parts are not beautiful and they cannot be beautiful because they're kind of, you know, desaturated because they have to be. Yeah, it's like this was once saturated, but it's melted now and it's mushy. <laughs> it's, it's gunky. 
It's gunky. Oh. That's good. They need to put that on the the re-release Blu-ray cover. <laughs> <laughs> you can quote me on that. It's gunky! <laughs> exclamation mark. <laughs> Um, so before we move into our second bug movie, did you have anything else to add on Phenomena? Oh, I <laughs> no, I, th- I think I think we covered everything. I have a lot to say about Inga, but <laughs> do share your thoughts on Inga, the final girl of Phenomena. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know. I just don't know why. Because <laughs> usually, you know, with Argento, you can start to pick it apart and look at the symbolism and the dream quality. But if I had a dream about a a monkey with a razor blade just, like, going at a guy's face and I went to a a psychotherapist and I said, what does this mean? I don't think they'd have an answer. Mm-hmm. that's all i have to say about it i mean that's more than i can say because i just i just keep going back to huh (laughs) was it really worth jennifer connelly losing the tip of her finger and then having it reattached i believe it was reattached was it worth it (laughs) i'm gonna say no not worth it for anyone to have be mauled by a chimpanzee and have to have their finger reattached. He should have had a giant bug. <laughs> well, this is the other thing that makes the, the monkey business not make sense for me, because her thing is with bugs. Why is a mammal involved? Because also the justification that Donald Pleasance gives is that it's basically like a serp she's like a service mm-hmm. monkey <laughs> yeah and he'll like use a laser pointer and say get oh go get this stuff for me um which i feel like a dog can do very well which just <laughs> which just i just like why that species of animal versus the more commonly known species of service animals I mean if I ever get to interview Argento that's what I'm going to ask why the monkey I think he just wanted to meet a monkey (laughs) so let's move on to Mary Heron's The Moth Diaries now before we set the scene I kind of want to talk a little bit about Mary Heron because it's, I think this is probably one of her lesser known films. And again, a very interesting director who's very well known for American Psycho and I Shot Andy Warhol, kind of very much in the in American indie space. But this film sits very neatly in between I Shot Andy Warhol, American Psycho, The Notorious Betty Page, and the Anna Nicole Smith story, which is a Lifetime movie she did. What do you think about kind of Mary Harron and, and this approach to the gothic horror from a team point of view? I think, to me, it 
feels like Mary Heron was almost responding as a director to the current landscape of filmmaking. Because you're right, if you look at her entire filmography, it does stand out. It doesn't make all that much sense. But if you're in 2010, 9, whatever, whenever this was greenlit, and you're saying, hey, like, Twilight's still mm-hmm. really popular. <laughs> uh, this movie's like a beautiful creatures being made. We really want a teen girl, yeah, supernatural teen girl, gothic, uh, very moody vibe sort of film. Uh, I feel like it does, it, there, there's a logic to, mm-hmm. to going to Mary Heron to ask her to do this because, uh, you know, at least you're getting <laughs> like a female voice mm-hmm. on, on this story. Um, yeah, and I guess as well, like, yeah, it, it, I think it's just very of the area, you know, Jennifer's body. It, it, it really reminded me of all these films that have been sort of coming out in the 2000s when, yeah, when it was sort of the post-Twilight craze and then everyone went away and delivered their different interpretations of that. <laughs> so how do you think, okay, so let's set, let's set the, the plot first. So kind of what is the Moth Diaries about? So it's it's based on a book from from 2002 and it's about a a boarding school and you know what happens nothing at good school. happens at a boarding school <laughs> things get weird and horny <laughs> obviously <laughs> and so we have the the main character Rebecca Cantor uh they're coming back for the new year and this is a specific boarding school where everyone's dad is dead. <laughs> is my impression. <laughs> but there's this idea that, like, at the boarding school is is shrouded by tragedy, uh, and everyone has some sort of struggle. But it mostly seems to be dead dads. And there's a new mm-hmm. student who is played, who's an Anessa, played by Lily Cole, Cole who's just incredibly tall, <laughs> looms over everyone. Uh, which is great. I love her. I think she's so well cast in this. Um, and she starts developing this very intense relationship with Rebecca's best friend, Lucy, who's mm-hmm. played by Sarah Gaden. And, uh, Rebecca's like, that's weird. And then in class, they're reading Camilla and she's like, hmm. <laughs> This story is about a woman who comes along and saps out of the life out of another woman. Wonder if there's a connection. <laughs> and there is. There is a connection. <laughs> I'm very bad at describing the plots to movies. I kind of so love sorry. that you made both of the movies <laughs> horny. <laughs> Although I will say this is a much hornier movie because obviously it's teenage girls in a boarding school. Uh, and the first when they first get all back together after holidays or whatnot, all they do is talk about sex. Yeah. And then, then a lesbian vampire turns up and I, and it gets even hornier. How, how does it fit? 
because I find it very interesting that like you brought up the the tone of sort of teenage horror adjacent fiction like this is the era of the big 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 era of popularity of YA properties uh in book form and in in film specifically kind of like how does the aesthetic of this with the vibe of this fit within what what was happening what was big at the time yeah i i feel like because it was mm-hmm. 2011 i'm very bad with timelines with mean, this cuz this was it was just the post twilight yes. fever <laughs> And I, I feel like there were so many films at the time where they took this very basic concept of, uh, girls like movies about girls being girls and romance, but there's a mm-hmm. supernatural element. And that's why the amazing Spider-Man movies were like they were, because <laughs> they're like, girls will love it <laughs> if, we have Spider-Man being horny for Gwen Stacy all the time. And they did. I will be fair, they did. (laughs) (laughs) And it's interesting because the novel that this is based off, I've not read, but I was reading somebody's comments about it. Uh, I think it was on Ladderbox. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the commenter. But they mentioned that the the novel by Rachel Klein uh, really takes the protagonist's uh, perspective and gives us the untrustworthy narrator idea that she spends this whole uh, novel sort of obsessed with the idea that this girl is a vampiric presence but you're really not sure whether she's hallucinating it or not and I feel like this film very much doesn't do that it's, she is a vampire and it it is more a lot more f- focused instead on like using the supernatural metaphor to amplify the the tensions between teenage girls both uh like romantic and non-romantic and yeah it's interesting like the beginning the beginning of the film it's like her monologuing about <laughs> writing mm-hmm. a, a diary and it reminds me so much of it. I feel like the beginning of that beautiful creatures movie is exactly the same with a guy where he's like arriving to town talking about <laughs> arriving to a new town and how weird the new town is. And, and there's this really like, there's this very like conversational, um, light attitude at first to how all the girls interact and they're like doing karaoke and yeah as you said they're all like they're all gossiping about who they hooked up with it's very it's very Mm -hmm. (laughs) ungothic for a lot of it and then i feel like halfway through the i guess the the mary heron element kicks in <laughs> and she's like okay right i'm going to i'm going to make a gothic horror movie now and it 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 changes tone quite quickly and i i don't say those things as a negative it's it's more just it's like it's just interesting <laughs> because it's so it's so bound by the context that it I mean, was made in the gothic really comes in when lily cole's character nessa block appears because she sticks out not just because she's very tall and like 
much taller than everyone uh but also because she clearly like even from her face to the way that she speaks comes from a completely different era and it's sort of i i think that the film really switches tones or kind of wrestles with tones because lily cole is in like a classic gothic horror movie and everyone else is in in a twin early 2010s you know, YA spooky supernatural adjacent movie. Yeah. (laughs) There's a scene quite early on where she's talking to Rebecca and Rebecca's like, "Ah, I got to go off to Greek class. And she says something like, I used to learn Greek and Latin. Then other things (laughs) intervened. And it's, it's like, is she auditioning to play Wednesday Adams? Like, <gasps> she would have made such a good you, Wednesday she, Adams. She would have been a great Wednesday Adams. But <laughs> there's nothing like you could not be more sus in the way that you're delivering that line. And you're you're so right. I think that that is the struggle of this film is that it's mm-hmm. a gothic story, but. And I don't know who is to blame here, whether it's, you know, an executive told Mary Herod, like, you've got to make this like Twilight, or whether that was her own creative decision to do it like that. But it's, yeah, it's trying to take this other thing. I'm looking at the poster now, it's the same typeface as Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) You know, trying to take this popular thing and just like slapping it onto a pre-existing story. It feels, I don't know if you've read any of the of the reviews of the film because it's screened at Venice and it like it was really slaughtered by critics people were extremely unkind to it and do you think that's do you think it's because the film kind of fails in what it wants to achieve or is it because it's a film that's mostly about teenage girls and has a little too much horror in it to make it a drama I do think there was in 2011 a general resentment around all things Twilight. <laughs> and I, yeah, I just, I just remember that, you know, anything that had any inclination or was reminiscent of it in any way was just people were rep- repulsed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that that ties into a little of the, I don't know. I think it ties into the reaction of of every single example of this YA supernatural genre. It's none of them got a fair shot, and a lot of them aren't particularly mm. good, but or also not awful. But they were so viciously mm. dismissed because, uh, you know, just because of the. <laughs> Uh, the social reaction to things that are aimed at teenage girls versus things that are aimed at teenage boys mm. is very different. <laughs> and everything that's surrounded around Twilight was just, you know, was deemed cheap and silly. And, and yeah, it's a tough one because I, I also would not be the person coming out like, we gotta reclaim the moth diaries. <laughs> no, I don't think I would either. I do find like some elements of it interesting, especially the, especially all the gothicness of it and how it kind of 
how he kind of fuses the sickly, the sickly girl trope and the Carmilla as kind of vampire figure and the ghost of a of a girl as well that haunts this boarding school. Like, how do you think? Do you think the gothic elements of it gel well together? It's hard because I feel like this makes me more inclined to go and read the novel because I'd be interested to see how pure the mm-hmm. the gothic element is in the source material because there are little snippets of it. You know, I think the moment where it's raining down blood on her and she's sort of in the Jesus position in wearing white nightgown and it's it's very um there's something sort of horrific and painterly about it like that feels right <laughs> feels like the right tone this film wants to strike and and yet i think it's <laughs> it suffers from the fact that it's so it lacks such confidence in its own metaphor that they have to spell out the fact that this is Camilla by having the students read that story in the class. And I feel like that level of blatant self reference, like feels very ungothic <laughs> to me. <laughs> and compared to phenomena, do you think there's enough bug action in the moth diaries? This is <laughs> like there's not really much bug action at all. There's just uh, her room is filled with moths, and I'm very upset by moths. But I think because I'm such a big fan of Crimson Peak, I've sort of forced myself to just get over moths on film. <laughs> just so I can watch that movie and not feel sick every time. <laughs> so while the moth scenes were happening in this, I just sort of went, it's just like Crimson Peak. It's just like Crimson Peak. That movie's nice. It never hurt you. <laughs> and then it was okay. Um, phenomena crossed the line because it, like, ten, five minutes into the movie, there was a bee <laughs> in a car. And she was like petting the bee and that was too much. This I can just about get through. (laughs) So before we wrap up, Clarice, is there anything about the Moth Diaries that you wanted to to end our conversation about this film on? I will say I liked a lot of the ideas in it and I... I liked connecting the way it connects the vampire mythology to uh eating disorders and specifically in the context of like of boarding schools or like schools and large groups of teenagers mm-hmm. together and how they all uh how they all talk about it and how they all react to it or interact with it i i thought was really well done like it is quite it's not very subtle, I think partially just because of the time that it was made, but I think it there was like a weird level of realism mm-hmm. to it that I appreciated. Chris, thank you so much for 
venturing bravely to watch these two bug-themed movies for me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Next time I'm on, can we do, like, dogs? Like, uh, killer dogs? Yeah, when when I do Cujo. um, Yeah, you're first on my list. He's just a fluffy little boy, and he just needs—he just needs a hug. No, because he—he will Nothing rip your finger. He will rip your entire hand off. No, not me. I'd get through to him. I could fix him. <laughs> um, Clarice, thanks again so much for your time and for your insight. And if people are hearing you for the first time, where can they find more of your work online? I, I post it all to my Twitter account, which is at Clarice Lou. Thank you so much. Thank you.